Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, welcome back, everybody, to part 45 of our sermon series, The Story of Jesus. If you weren't with us last week, we hit the pause button on our series for one weekend, and we did our Be the Blessing weekend. And I really want to encourage you, if you did not get to see that message, go back online and watch that message. Every year in November, we take a weekend and we focus on generosity and kindness and serving and uh, we are doing all kinds of like exciting really exciting projects as a church and uh, our goal went from raising $25,000 last year to raising $300,000 this year uh, to include feeding kids in Costa Rica and starting a a drug rehabilitation center here in the Ohio Valley that is based on Jesus. And uh, it's uh, it's amazing. And I, I told everybody last week, I don't know if we'll hit our goal. I don't even know how we could hit our goal. Uh, but but I know if we don't try, we won't. And guys, uh, we have had some very large gifts come in. I'm not going to reveal anything this weekend. Uh, but we are. We could hit our goal, but it's going to take every single one of us jumping in and doing the best we can to get there. And I'll share more in the in the weeks ahead about how things are going. But but if you have not signed up to serve yet, or you have not given yet, and you're still praying about that. Please do so. I would love by the end of the year to be able to call Hope Center Ministries and say, hey, we're ready to go on that house and fund everything else completely. So thank you and uh, and check that out. And uh, yeah, but this week we're going to jump back into Mark chapter 14. So we're in Mark chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 32. Uh, G- last time we were on this, which was two weeks ago, Jesus shared the Last Supper with his disciples. He broke the bread uh, and, and, and said, this is my body. And he took the cup and blessed it and said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. He ends the Passover tradition and replaces it with a whole new covenant, a whole new era. It was a big deal. Then he takes his disciples across the Kidron Valley and up onto the Mount of Olives, um, and tells them, look, here's what's going to happen. You're going to betray me. And of course, uh, Peter says, no, 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 not me. And, um, and Jesus says, actually, you're going to betray me three times before the night's up. So we know we're in the home stretch. We are coming into that, that moment that Jesus came for, the crucifixion. Now, in, in Mark chapter 14 and verse 32, we get a little more detail. So they're on the Mount of Olives. Uh, and uh, now they go into a place called Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives. In verse 32, it says this, they went to a place called Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane is an olive press. That's what Gethsemane means. And this is called the Garden of Gethsemane. It would have been a little, most likely a walled off area on the the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, as I said, is across from Jerusalem. You can look back from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem and see the city wall and the temple up on the Mount. Um, and uh, But this whole hillside covered with olive trees. But in the middle of that somewhere is this, this area where they would actually press the olives and make olive oil. Um, I wanna show you a picture of the olive press. The olive press 
is basically a, a big rock that's been carved out and then a round rock that rolls over the olives and it's designed so the olive oil will, will come out and they can collect it in one place. And either, um, either a person or an animal would, uh, would push a stick that would be through that round rock and it would roll and roll and, and roll. And so um, that's where they are. This most likely a, a, somebody that Jesus knows owns this little operation, and it's a quiet place, as we talked about last time, uh, three million people in Jerusalem, and this is a quiet place where Jesus and his disciples can go and get some solitude and a little peace, peace and quiet. And it says, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And Judas and the temple guard and the whole crowd that he was bringing out from Jerusalem to arrest Jesus were on their way, and Jesus goes out to meet them. All right, so... Let's paint the picture. Jesus is in the Olive Garden eating unlimited breadsticks and salad. No, just kidding. That's not that kind of Olive Garden. He's in the, he's in the Olive Garden. He's in the, the wine press area, and, and he is distressed. He is being, in fact, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He was being Pressed. You could, have you ever felt that way? I mean, have you ever just been carrying a burden? There's a decision you have to make or something really heavy going on in your life and it's just pressing on you and you're just overwhelmed. I've been there. Now, this is interesting because Jesus, Jesus says he's overwhelmed to the, to the point of de death and he's being uh, and I think in a very real way being crushed. Now, it just so happens, and nothing happened, and nothing just so happens. There's no coincidences. Jesus is, is in this area with this olive press. Now, when olives are pressed or crushed to make olive oil, they crush them three times, and each time they get a little more oil out of the olives. And I find it very, very interesting that Jesus goes to prayer three times times to the point of sweating blood. We know this from Luke's gospel. Luke says that Jesus was sweating what appeared to be blood. Well, this is a medical condition we know today. It's very rare, but it's called hematidrosis. And hematidrosis is when we are under such emotional and or physical strain and stress 
maybe being overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, Jesus wasn't exaggerating, that, that the capillaries in our sweat glands burst and it looks like we are sweating blood. This is the amount of strain that Jesus was under. Now, the olive oil that would have been produced in this garden was used to anoint kings and priests in the temple just across the valley. And I think it's just fascinating that it is the blood of Jesus as it is applied to our lives that makes us the priesthood of believers, that, that, that covers our sin and gives us the ability to have a relationship with God and his spirit living on the inside. It's, it's, the, the parallels are just amazing. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever wrestled or been overwhelmed with a decision? Have you ever wrestled or been overwhelmed with a decision? Um, I remember, and this is, I mean, compared to what Jesus was going through, uh, is nothing, but I remember when I graduated from college, I was so happy because I hated school. I didn't even want to go to college in the first place. I, and uh, I graduated. I'm like, I made it. I'm done. Check. I never have to go back to college. And it wasn't too long after that that I started feeling a little nudge in my, in my heart that I was supposed to go to grad school. And I was like, no, I'm not going to grad school. Absolutely not. And um, so uh, the summer after I graduated, I, I went uh, back to New York, which I was going to school in New York, to take some kids to summer camp. And on my way back from summer camp, I had been wrestling with this idea of going to grad school. I'm like, I'm not going. There's no way. I'm done with school. Life is good. I never have to go back. And on the car ride home, which was quite a long trip from New York, uh, I found myself in this, this wrestling match with God about about going to, to school, going back to grad school. And I was like, no, I don't want to go. And he goes, yes, you got to go. And no, no, and I don't. And, and, and we're having this, this wrestling match in the car. And, and there, were, there was a lot of prayer and a lot of tears. And it was very heavy on me. And I remember it was somewhere between Buffalo and Erie, New York, where I said, all right, God, <laughs> I'll go. And, it's, and, and this peace came over me, I think for two reasons. One, the, pro, the degree program I felt like I was supposed to get, the best program was in Boulder, Colorado. So I thought, well, a couple years in Boulder isn't a bad idea. Um, and the second was is because I said, okay, God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. And I find that when we wrestle, when I, at least for me, when I wrestle in prayer with something, when there's something that is heavy on me, and I can get to that point where what Jesus put it this way, not my will, but yours be done. But when I can get to that place where I can say, I want what you want more than I want what I want, there is a peace that comes. Now, the end of that story, uh, the program in Boulder fell apart, and I ended up in Minnesota, which was just God playing a trick on me, I think, more than anything. But uh, it all worked out. It was exactly what I was supposed to do and how I got to where I am today. Have you ever wrestled with God's will? My guess is if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably have. Now, if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you know that the best place to be is in the center of God's will. And in fact, there are times where the center of God's will isn't exactly clear. And we're like, what's God's will? What's God's will? But there are other times where it's incredibly clear. And sometimes 
in those moments, it's not what you want to do. It's not easy. And that's what Jesus is facing right here. I think that my experience has been sometimes God will make his will clear and he will ask us to do something that we don't want to do. Maybe quitting a dysfunctional relationship. You know, you're, you're in this dating relationship and, 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 you know, she's no good for you. Um, maybe, maybe you're a believer and, and, and he's not, or uh, it's, it's dysfunctional in some way, shape, or form. It's leading you in the wrong direction, and you know it's not good for you, and God has, has nudged your heart on that, and it's, and it's hard to quit because, well, you want to get married, and there are no other options, so we're just going to push through and make this thing work, and you don't want to do it. Maybe... You know, in my case, I didn't want to go to grad school. Whatever it is for you, you know, I think there's this battle. I know there's this battle. The Apostle Paul uh, identifies it clearly in Romans 7 where there's a battle between our spirit and our flesh or between God's spirit and, and our flesh. To We do what we don't want to do and we don't do what we do want to do and this battle rages inside of us. But sometimes God will call us to do what we don't want to do. Now, ultimately, in the end, it's the best thing, but you can't see that from this side of the decision. You know, God also will sometimes call us to do things we think we can't do. Like, you need to forgive that person. Well, you, you don't understand what they've done to me. Maybe it was an abuser. Maybe it was somebody who hurt you in ways you can't even describe. I can't even begin to forgive that person. Maybe it was someone who slandered your name all over town and made things up about you. And you're like, no, I can't forgive. But if God calls you to, he will give you the ability to as well. You know, maybe it's an addiction you have and you're like, I, I, I just can't do it. But in God's power, and again, as he calls you, he will empower you to do it. And it will be harder than you think, but you can do it. And sometimes he calls us to do things that we're absolutely afraid of. I think that's what's going on with Jesus here. He is terrified of what is to come. Maybe God's calling you to have a conversation with someone, and you don't know if the relationship's going to survive the conversation, but you know you're supposed to have the conversation. And it just terrifies you because you don't want to lose that relationship. Or maybe there's a stand that you need to take, and you don't know what the world looks like on the other side of making that stand. Maybe you don't have a job. Maybe you're, you don't have a school to go to. Maybe, you know, maybe your friend circle changes, and it terrifies you. And that's what Jesus is facing here. He is afraid of what he is about to face. Now, the God part of Jesus isn't afraid, but the human part of Jesus, and Jesus was fully God and fully human. The human part of Jesus is dealing with the same emotion that you would have been dealing with. Now, what I find interesting is that Jesus has been, up to this point, very clear and very resolved about what his mission is. Right? He was here to go to the cross, to die for the sins of the world. And he knew it. He had embraced his mission. He had spoken about it on several occasions leading up to this time. He told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the authorities. They're going to beat me and torture me and kill me. But don't worry, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And they thought he was talking metaphorically, but he was dead serious. 
In Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, Jesus, Jesus said this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to what? to give his life as a ransom for many. He knew he was paying for the sins of the world. This is why he came. When he, when he was anointed with the nard at the dinner before, you know, a few days before this, he said, this is, she's preparing me for my death. And when he took the bread and the, and the cup at the last supper, he was, this is my body broken. This is my blood poured out. He knew exactly what he was here to do. And when Peter tried to talk him out of it and said, no, 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 you don't need to do that. That's not the plan. He said, get behind me, Satan. He was resolved. He was laser beam focused. He was here to die for the sins of the world. That was the plan. But now we're just a couple hours before it's actually going to happen. And I think that the reality of what he is about to walk through has set in. And he is wrestling. He is broken. He is, he is dealing with a heavy weight to the point of death, he said. Now, I think it's really important to pause here for a moment and acknowledge that and acknowledge that if Jesus wrestles, wrestled with obeying God sometimes and it was heavy for him, that it's okay for us to wrestle. And we will. We will. There's no question about it. In the end, Jesus chose to obey. And it's not for us as we walk through those things as well. It's not what you feel in the midst of it. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to question. It's okay to ask God for another plan. That's what Jesus did. It's not what you feel. It's what you do that counts. And at the end of the day, Jesus trusted his father and he trusted his father's plan more than he trusted what he could see or what he could feel in that moment. Guys, and the same thing needs to be true for us. That's faith. Faith is trusting God enough to do what he says, even when it doesn't make sense to us. That's faith. And Jesus walked through the human emotions, but he walked in faith and in, in obedience. And Jesus in the process, I think it's just amazing. To me, it gives me great hope. Jesus is wrecked. I mean, he is groveling on the ground in the dirt. He's sweating blood. He's crying out, Abba, Father, which is Daddy. Uh, the closest translation we have. It, it, it just, he, he's like, Dad, don't make me go through this. And he says, take this cup from me. Now, this is really interesting, too, because if I were Jesus, I think I probably would have said, take this cross from me. But he doesn't. He says, take this cup from me. In the Old Testament, the wrath of God is poured out in a cup. And this is the part of what Jesus is about to face that scares him to death. He wasn't afraid of the cross, he didn't want to face the wrath of God. See, in a few hours, the sins of the world, all the sin of humanity, future, present, and past is about to be placed on Jesus. And God, being the righteous, holy God, holy judge that he is, his wrath is against sin. He will turn his back on a son for the first time in, in all of eternity God 
turns away from, from his son. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is the misery. That is the thing that's, that has Jesus completely wrecked. Now, in verse 41, it says, returning the third time. So Jesus goes and he prays. He comes back. The disciples are sleeping. Uh, he wakes them up. He goes back. He prays. He comes back a third time. He's prayed three times. And he says to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I think... I think something, well, I know something amazing has happened in Jesus. There is a difference from before he prays to after he prays. He goes into that garden. He is deep with sorrow. He is wrestling with being obedient to what his father has asked him to do. And in that process, Something transformative happened to Jesus. Before he's troubled to the point of death, after he walks out and goes, all right, here comes Judas and, and the rest of the uh, temple guard and everybody, let's go meet him. And he walks directly into the fire. He stands firm all the way to the cross. He had a moment or a couple of hours, we don't know exactly how long it was, but he has, has this period of time where he wrestles and we all will and we all do, but he walks out on the other side. He walks out of that prayer different in here. See, the prayer didn't change what would happen. Jesus still had to go to the cross, but it transformed what was going on inside of Jesus and it gave him the strength and the courage to do what he knew he had to do. So, what does this passage teach us about God? That's a super important question we should ask about every passage we read, but what does this one teach us about God? And for me, it teaches, teaches us that God's love for us is radical. God's love for you is radical, that he would allow his son to walk through this and then what is about to happen on the cross. His only son, the son that he loves, that he would allow their relationship to be broken with sin for you, tells me that his love for you is radical. See, when we wonder if God loves us, all we have to do is look at this week that we're reading about in the book of Mark and look at this evening that we're looking at right now and look at what is to unfold in the days ahead, to look at the cross, that God would allow his wrath to come at his son because you wouldn't survive his wrath and he loves you that much. God's love is radical. The other thing that I think it teaches us about God is that there's no other way to God. Jesus went to the Father in prayer and said, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. And three times God says, no, there is no other way. This is the only way. And in John 14, verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, he wasn't exaggerating. He is the way to the Father because the only way to God 
It's through the forgiveness of sins. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a story of substitution. And there's not another religion in the world that deals with the sin problem. Every single one of us is stained with sin. And the only way that sin can be dealt with is if something dies and God in his mercy created a substitute. With, with Abraham, he says, take your son Isaac, the son that you love, the son that is the future of the promise that I've given you, and I want you to sacrifice him. And he's got Isaac on, a, on an altar. He's obeying God, and God's like, whoa, 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 I was just testing you. It's all good. Don't kill your son. And God provides a ram as a substitute for Isaac, and Isaac lives. A few weeks ago, we looked at the Passover, and how God provided the lamb as a substitute for the firstborn children of Israel. And now he provides Jesus as the substitute for you and for me and for all who will accept him, that he steps in and he pays the penalty for our sin, which is death, so that we can be forgiven and so that we can be in a relationship with God. The gospel is a story of substitution. There is no other way where God would have let Jesus out of this plan, and he didn't. It was the only plan that would take care of the sin problem and save the world. You know, the second question that I want to ask in regards to this passage is just basically this. What does it teach us about us? Because all of us, as we go through this life, will have moments when we are in distress to the point of of being overwhelmed and broken, and it's just part of living in the skin and being a human being. And especially if you're going to follow Jesus, there will be times when he asks us to do things we don't want to do or things we think we can't do or things that scare us. And so how do we deal with that? What does it teach us? What does this teach us about walking through this life? And the first thing I think that it teaches us is this. Don't do life alone. Don't do life alone. Jesus grabs uh, his three best friends and he says, come, I need you to, to keep watch with me. I need you to be with me. I need you to pray with me. You know, we, around here we say all people need people. It's one of our core values, and it comes back to this. If the Son of God needed his friends to support him and to be there with him as he walks through this time, how much more so do we? Let me ask you, who are you calling when you know you have to have that hard talk with your boss or when you find that lump or when your kids are facing hardship or when your marriage is going through a rough patch who who do you call to be with you in our culture today we are so isolated and we are so like I'll just take care of it myself but we weren't meant to do it that way we were meant to have people around us who can know us who can love us who can pray with us who are you getting to pray with you on the front end of your problems you know so often in church people will Will, will, will disappear. I always say the, the first step away from God is the step, is the step away from church. And so often people will come back a couple years later 
and their lives are a mess and their marriage is a mess and, and, uh, and they're trying to put all the pieces back together. But who are you getting to pray with you on the front end before everything falls apart? Because God has front-end solutions, and those front-end solutions are found in the relationships that we have with others where we get positive peer pressure to to deal with things, and, and we get the support that we need and the prayer that we need to walk out and follow God rather than walk away. But when we get out on our own, man, we're sitting ducks. The Bible talks, and especially the New Testament, over and over about the one another's of the faith, how we're supposed to support one another and pray for one another, And it helps life work better, helps us follow God better. And man, it makes life richer. It's just, it's just a better life. You know, I was, I'm in a a life group and, and uh, with a group of guys and uh, next week's the last week of our semester. And I said, so so, uh, last week, I said, next week's the last week of our semester. And, and they're like, can we keep meeting? Can we just keep getting together? Because I need this. And we started out at the beginning of the semester, and we were just kind of getting to know each other. And, and already, you know, we're sharing what's going on in our lives and what our struggles are. We're praying for each other, and it's powerful. We need that. If you're not in a life group and you don't have people like that in your life, at the end of January, we're going to start our next semester. I want to invite you to sign up and find your folks, find your people, because if the Son of God needs that, so do we. You know, the other thing I think we learn about ourselves and, 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 and just navigating the hard parts of life is that it's okay to pray directly. Jesus goes right in here. He doesn't warm God up with a bunch of these prayers or telling God how great he is. He's like, this is what I need, God. This is what I'm dealing with. If there's any other way, can we do that? And it's okay to pray that way, especially when you're praying desperate prayers. Another thing I think we learn is is simply this. Prayer is built on relationship. Prayer is built on relationship. Jesus has a connected relationship with his father. You know, he is seeking to follow God. And and, and he uh, he, he has a conversational relationship with God. Now, how often do we make a mess of our lives and then call out to God and go, Help! Rescue me. And will God reach down and save your bacon in a crisis when, when we walk away from him? Sometimes he does. But don't expect God to answer your prayers if you're in outright rebellion. And let me explain why. That might sound really harsh, and it's not harsh. If one of my kids is in rebellion and, and self-destructing, I am not going to give them everything they ask for. Guys, that's called enablement. That enables them to hurt themselves more. That enables them to walk away further. And it's not loving. God loves you. He's not going to give you everything that you ask for if you're walking away from him in an outright rebellion. Proverbs 28, 9 says this. It says, if anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, even their prayers are detestable. It's built on relationship. Nurture that relationship. It's the way to get through all of life, good parts and hard parts. Next thing I think we learn is this. We need to be persistent in prayer. Jesus goes back three times. He keeps praying, and he keeps praying, and he keeps praying. And, and, and understand, persistence doesn't help God to hear you, hear you better. He already knows what you need before you even ask for it. 
But you know what it does? Persistence in prayer changes my heart. It fills me with peace. In Philippians 4, 6 through 8, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. By prayer and petition. I think one of the things that we do that jacks us up and makes this not work in our lives is we, we, go, we subscribe to the school of thoughts and prayer. Thoughts will do nothing for you. You have to actually pray and talk to God and ask him if you... Thoughts cause us to kind of circle back around and build anxiety in our life because we obsess about things. But when we pray, it's like we give this thing to God and we present our request to him. And then in verse seven, it says, in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, this supernatural peace. I think that's what Jesus experienced in the garden there. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, Prayer, persistent prayer, gives us courage. Something changed in Jesus over the course of those three prayers, and he found himself with the courage not just to, to go through with it, but to walk out and meet his accusers. And I think the last thing that we learn here, and there's probably so much more. I mean, we, I, this could have been a three-hour message, but for our purposes today is this. In the end... We need to be obedient. We need to be obedient. And obedience, guys, is a matter of spiritual power, not willpower. Let me say that again. Obedience is a matter of spiritual power, not willpower. Finding the strength to walk to the cross was something that God did inside of Jesus through that prayer. See, the power to obey comes after we pray. Let me say that again. The power to obey comes after we pray. Jesus had the power after he wrestled in prayer with God in the Garden of Gethsemane. Guys, when, when we can get to that point in wrestling with God, to know and believe and understand, and even though it's hard, and it is hard. It's normal to, to wrestle. But when we, get to, when we can get to that place where we can say, God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. Make that true in my heart. I know it's, I know it's right. Make it true in my heart. I give you permission to change my attitude, to change my desires. Man, that's when, that's when the good stuff happens. You know, I, when, uh, when I graduated from college, there were two things I didn't want to do. I didn't want to go back to college. I shared that story with you already. And I didn't want to be a pastor. And, uh, and God, God started working on me on that second part. It was years later. But even when I came on staff here at the church, I told the I told John, who was the pastor at the time, I said, okay, I'll come on staff, but I do not ever want to be a pastor. It wasn't anything that I wanted. But when it was time for me to be a pastor, it's exactly what I wanted because I had given God permission to mess with my heart in a good way. I want what you want more than I want what I want. Now make that true in my heart. And you know, 
there's nothing that I would would rather be doing right now than doing this. And there have been times, like probably about five or six years ago, that I wanted permission to quit. I didn't want to do this anymore. And I was begging God. And he said, no, you're going back today and today and today. And I have watched God change me and change circumstances. And I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. And uh, I am blessed to be here. But he had to change that in me. And he will change it in you, whatever he calls you to, wherever he leads you in this life. If you will just simply pray, God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. Now make that true in my heart, just like Jesus did. So let's pray. Close your eyes wherever you're sitting. Bow your head. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to surrender every part of your life to him today that you're aware of. Just where you're sitting in the quiet of your heart, just pray and just say, God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. And I've been holding out on you in this area or that area. And just tell them what the areas are. Say, God, make that true in my heart. And there are some of us who are just checking out faith and checking out Jesus And today's your day to step across the line of faith and experience the amazing love of God. He loved you so much that he allowed his only son to not only be sacrificed in your place on a cross, but to go through the the wrath of God because of that sin on your behalf. He loves you. And he is inviting you to come home today and just simply say, God, I believe that you sacrificed your son for me. And I need forgiveness for all the things that I've done. Would you come into my heart? And would you lead my life? I place my faith in you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, please let us know. Fill out the online connect card or, um, and, and, and give us a, a heads up that uh, something significant has happened in your life today. And we actually have some resources we would love to get to you to help you get started in your relationship with God. Have a great week, folks. See you next time. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.